Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, in 1993, Jurassic Park came out and then Dolly the Sheep was cloned just three years later in 1996. And it seemed inevitable that we would soon get our dinosaur theme park. But here we are two decades later and it's still not here. So what's the hold up? Well, aside from the many significant ethical issues, the scientific challenges are huge. And one in particular that adversely affects much more reasonable de-extinction projects is the simple fact that right now we can't clone birds or dinosaurs for that matter. Why? Well, Ben Novak is lead scientist with Revive and Restore. He joins me now. So um, the great passenger pigeon comeback, I suppose, is the, the most notable of your project so far. Can you tell us what it is you're trying to do with the passenger pigeon and, and, and how it's going? Well, I was hired to lead the, the passenger pigeon project. It's a species that is near and dear to my heart that I've been passionate about my entire life. Well, almost my entire life. Uh, seems like it now. And, you know, the, the end goal, rather than trying to put some recreated extinct species into a theme park, like people, you know, associate with Jurassic Park, is to actually put a beneficial lost species back into the environment to help species that are struggling today. So the passenger pigeon was once the most abundant bird on the planet. There were 5 billion of them in the early 1800s, swarming these you know, it, enormous flocks of one to three billion birds. And they would come into a patch of forest and just chaotically break off branches as they were trying to find places to perch over, you know, overwhelming the trees. And then over the course of a couple of weeks, consuming all the food, turning that food into guano and depositing it on the ground. And that sounds like absolute mayhem, and it is, but it's how forests are meant to work. It was like a storm or a, or a fire, and it restarted a regeneration cycle that brought new life into that patch of forest. And these birds were doing this, constantly keeping the forests of eastern North America in a state of flux, allowing a, a huge amount of biodiversity, um, carbon cycling, and other great aspects of bioproductivity that we are now uh, suffering without in our eastern forests. We have lots of forests that have come back, but we don't have pigeons to keep them in their best state. So we hope to use new gene editing technologies and and reproductive technologies that I'm going to try and create with teams around the world to recreate a new version of that species to take on its role. So the idea behind this, of course, is not to create a zoo of weird extinct animals, but to restore some balance to the ecosystems of the world that have been heavily damaged by the removal of significant species, such as apex predator, or in this case, the the passenger pigeon. Obviously, recreating that um, so that it gets to a level of three billion births is probably highly unlikely to happen. So why um, why are you involved in the passenger pigeon project? Because you're, you're not going to get that many birds back recreating and regenerating forests in that way. What is the, what is the point of the project? Well, we will get that many birds back. Um, we won't be doing it. The birds will be. Um, it definitely, but three billion birds will definitely not come back in our lifetime. Um, it will take time. Uh, conservation projects like this sort take, sort take decades. But, you know, to really understand the motivations behind this, um, you know, the projects that are rewilding Europe and doing reintroductions in Europe are actually really great to look at. 
um, like the restorations of eagle species in Ireland and Britain, beaver in Great Britain, um, buffalo and bison throughout uh, uh, Spain and Germany and Poland. These are all about landscapes and whole ecosystems. And conservationists are working with species that are still alive somewhere in the world where they can grab them from where they've survived and bring them back to places where they've been pushed out, overhunted, or, or removed for some reason due to human activities. For species like passenger pigeons, we don't have any living species that can ever take on that role. So we have to create at least a starting flock of these birds that have the right traits to be able to do this. And through the, the tried and true uh, methods that have been developed to save other species around the world in, in zoo breeding and, 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 and conservation breeding will basically be building up a large number of these birds in, in captive settings and then beginning to transition them into the wild and augmenting the numbers in the wild. So as they start breeding in the wild, we'll be continually actually adding from the captive breeding that we can actually ramp up at scale and put them out into the wild. And so I think within you know, thanks to, you know, new support that we have bringing, coming in to ch tackle these bird biotechnology challenges, I believe we're actually finally on track to accomplish creating the first generations of new passenger pigeons within the next seven to 10 years. And then once we have um, a generation of birds that are actually exhibiting the right traits, we'll, we may be actually be able to produce enough birds in the first 10 to 15 years to start thinking about putting some in the wild. So, Within 25 to 30-ish years, years from now, we could see these birds in the wild. And, you know, I think in at least my lifetime or my son's lifetimes, we could get up to several million of these birds in the wild. But it'll probably take the next century to get up to the billion number. One of the problems with doing this with birds is that cloning mammals is is something that we have been able to do using cloning technologies for example as we said with Dolly the sheep cloning birds is much more difficult can you take me through why that is the case and how you're going about um reintroducing the passenger pigeon because they are of course extinct and birds so you know the big barrier to cloning and also in vitro fertilization uh, in birds is probably what most people had for breakfast this morning. It's the egg. The egg is the way it's formed, the way it's laid and develops is, is a completely different reproductive system from a mammal. And what not a lot of people know is the entire egg yolk happens to be an egg cell. So while an egg cell from a mammal is this tiny microscopic thing that you can put under a microscope and you can see the nucleus and remove the DNA and put new DNA or insert sperm to fertilize it. It's a little hard to get an entire egg yolk underneath a microscope. And even if you do put it underneath a microscope, it's yellow. You can't see anything. <laughs> so um, while people have come up with ways to kind of visualize and find the DNA, it's, it's literally like looking for a needle in a stack of needles. And it's, it's extremely difficult to do so. And even if you can trying to grow a bird embryo um, from an early, early stage is very difficult as well. So years ago, researchers developed a, a workaround that we can use that's been used in domestic chickens for a very long time now, over 20 years now. And basically, it's, it's similar to in vitro fertilization. So if you imagine in vitro fertilization, you're taking uh, sperm from a donor father, 
and eggs from a donor mother. You're uniting them in a Petri dish to create an embryo and then implanting that embryo into a surrogate mother. Yeah. Well, we cannot create the embryo in vitro for a bird, but if we grab the precursor cells to the sperm and the eggs, we can do something just a slight bit different where we take the donor germ cells from a father and the donor germ cells from a mother, just the, the predecessors of the sperm and the eggs at an embryonic stage. And rather right. than creating the embryo in a Petri dish, we can grow those cells, do our gene editing work and whatnot, and then implant those cells into both a surrogate mother and a surrogate father. And then those two surrogate parents create the baby the old-fashioned way. And so, so then the DNA that each of these animals passes down is not their DNA, but the donated DNA, and they replicate that every time they produce new offspring. Precisely. Therefore, every new egg is the desired species. Is that the idea? That is the goal. Um, and and it's, it's actually, you know, in, in theory, a much nicer system than cloning, because when you work with cloning, you create maybe a few embryos at once, and then that's all you get. You put them in the mother, that's all you get, then you have to create them again. Whereas with these surrogate parents, yeah, they can breed over an entire lifetime and produce dozens and dozens of, of desired offspring. You know, there are some uh, elements to improving the process to make it really great for what we want to do. But the main barrier right now for us is that while this is a technology that is up and running and used routinely in domestic chickens, the biology of the domestic chicken has been altered over the past 10,000 years of selective breeding, and it's very different from wild birds. So the ability to grow these germ cells in a Petri dish requires a sort of soup that we call culture media that has growth factors and other, other ingredients that keep the cells alive. And the conditions that grow chicken cells have failed to grow the cells of any other type of bird. And so we need to right. figure out how to grow those germ cells really well, potentially develop some alternate stem cell growth uh, conversion methods to do this. But that is uh, the aims of a program that Revive and Restore has just launched to help fund um, teams in Japan, Europe, the United States that are at the forefront of this technology to actually move beyond the chicken and get this working with other types of birds. And not only will this allow us to, you know, create an extinct passenger pigeon as the technology moves forward, but it's going to finally allow us to do all sorts of innovative things to conserve endangered living birds as well. We, well, we let's talk a little yeah. bit about your successes um, then, because, uh, you know, there are some species that are, as you say, on the brink of extinction and, and increasing the amount of diversity, recreating healthy males or females where they're needed is, is hugely important. Tell me about the black-footed ferish and Przalski's horse. Shavalski's horse. Oh, say it again. Shavalski's. Shavalski, that is not it's how it is. Russian, <laughs> the Russian name. The, uh, the, the indigenous name is Taki. It's much easier to say. But uh, yeah, so in 2020, we welcomed into the world uh, in partnership with San Diego Zoo, and Viagen Pets and Equine, a cloning company here in the United States, the world's first cloned 
Shavalsky's uh, horse. And in, in, in a separate project in, involving U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the Black-Footed Ferret Recovery Team, we welcomed the first cloned Black-Footed Ferret. And, you know, there was a lot of great news buzz around those. Uh, people, people loved the, the, the clones and the stories. You can actually, if you visit San Diego Zoo, you can visit Kurt, the, the cloned Shavalsky's horse. These were, you know, two really incredible moments for conservation in the fact that while cloning technology is over 25 years old from Dolly the sheep, and I should clarify that cloning is actually nearly 70 years old. Uh, the first clones were frogs in 1957, but it wasn't until the breakthrough of Dolly the sheep that we could think of cloning endangered species um, for the way that we need for conservation. And right. and despite decades of doing it in cattle and sheep and, and other livestock, conservation really hadn't adopted it yet. And, and we felt there was a strong need for these two species, which are on their way to recovery thanks to 40 years of effort from zoos and, and, eight, and government agencies and many private landowners and governments. But both these species got down to just a few individuals each, something yeah. we call a severe bottleneck. And despite the fact that they're recovering, they have really low genetic diversity that could inhibit their ability to continue to adapt and evolve to a changing world. Amazingly, some people back in the 1980s ac actually preserved cells from some of the individuals that lived at the time that where we've lost diversity from those individuals in the living populations. So we were able yeah. to reach into the frozen zoo cryo tanks and pull out cells from 1980 for the horse and 1988 for the ferret and bring those back to life in in these clones um and they'll you know we're gonna we're continuing to clone from these cell lines um so that we can ensure that we have enough individuals to produce offspring over their lifetime and add their their diversity back into the population and uh and these are the you know the first real conservation programs uh cloning programs that are happening at scale to really do this and i feel you know i feel it's a, a true turning point for not only our work, but the the concept of how biotech can help conservation as a whole, and uh, it's been very exciting to to bring those clones into the world with our partners and and to to share the news and keep going. Um, we'll be doing more cloning for black-footed ferrets in 2023. Um, we do that seasonally to time with the breeding of the other black-footed ferrets, but at the moment there are. Um, several pregnancies for more cloned Shavalsky's horses that we hope will be born potentially in spring 2023. It, it is, um, it is a really exciting area to be working in. And it seems like a great time as well. I, I, I noticed that um, funding has started to come to you for some of these projects as people's imaginations are, are spurred on by the successes that we've seen uh, across the world and in, and in some of your projects too. So keep up the good work, uh, Ben. And uh, I dream of the, the future you envisaged uh, decades from now when passenger pigeons turn our skies dark <laughs> in a storm of destruction. Ben Novak from Revive and Restore. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.